Uh, our lesson today is lecture five entitled The Flood. Now we've got a lot to cover here and we just finished our last lecture discussing the introduction to sin in humanity, how this is not God's will, how he gives Adam and Eve free will in order to freely love him and choose him in love. And yet they fall to sin at the instigation of the devil. And now sin has entered into the world. Mankind is in a state of deprivation, deprived of God's grace. God will seek man out. God promises a redeemer through the arrival of the new woman and her seed, the new man. So this, of course, as we discussed, would be Mary as the new Eve and Jesus as the new Adam. Now, we have a lot of salvation history to cover until we get to that point. So what we want to begin uh, with now is chapter 4. Uh, with the arrival of Cain and Abel. Um, so let's look at that. Let's go and read chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, just to start, and then we'll just continue our story. So chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. All right, so here we have this concept of biblical knowledge, as people say, you know, so-and-so biblically knew so-and-so. And it's a very important word, this, this concept of knowing, a man knowing his wife. And in Hebrew, they have it right here in your notes for you. In Hebrew, the word is yadah. Yadah is the, the word for covenantal knowledge. It's actually really funny. Whenever I teach this in, in classes, I always bring up the famous Seinfeld episode where he says, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it's a funny way of remembering this word, yadah. You always have to throw some phlegm on your Hebrew to sound a little bit more official. Um, but this word is very, very important. It's not just knowing a thing or knowing something abstractly. It's to know someone that you are in covenant with. And so that makes perfect sense. Adam, yadah's Eve, right? And she gives birth to both Cain and Abel. So let's see what happens here next. Let's just keep reading with verse three. In the course of time, by the way, I really think that's really interesting. It just simply says, in the course of time. We don't know how much time passed. Could have been the next week, but it seems to imply a long time passed. But anyways, I'm digress. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought some of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had a regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Okay, so here we have what we call two kinds of sacrifice, right? So Cain offers God the fruit of the ground, and yet Abel offers firstlings of his flock, indicating the very best, the first choices of his flock. And the fact that God had no regard for Cain and his offering, it says, and that Cain did not do well, indicates here that God is looking at much more than just the content of the sacrifice itself. So it's not like Cain brought to God moldy old Brussels sprouts or something like that. I always use that joke, Brussels sprouts, just these, these moldy old uh, Brussels sprouts that God didn't want because God doesn't like Brussels sprouts. 
he's more of a barbecue kind of guy. And, and so Abel brings him the first flings of his flock and barbecue just is much better than moldy old Brussels sprouts. No, that's not what's going on here. God is looking at the disposition of heart. The fact that Abel brought the very best indicates that's what God wants, that we give to God the very best that we have and that we don't give to God just kind of what is left over. And this is simply true of our love, our affection, our focus, and really our very our very selves. God wants our hearts. This is a big theme that we're going to see throughout all of scripture, both in this course here on salvation history, plus all of our other focused uh, Bible studies. The, the heart, in Hebrew it's lavav, the heart is very, very important. So that's what God wants. And this is, we can apply this very easily with our spiritual life, right? Our prayer life. We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to be like Cain, bringing a simple sacrifice, quote unquote sacrifice, or just showing up at mass or church or doing our rosary, just simply praying the prayers, but our heart's not in it. We need to give God our very, very best in our spiritual life. This, of course, applies to stewardship in general of our time, our talent, of our treasure, giving God the very firstlings of our flocks. That's a really huge, important lesson that we could apply to our lives. God wants to look at the disposition of our heart where we put God first. Okay, so clearly Cain doesn't do this. Clearly Cain is making an offering that is sort of an afterthought for him. And this is why God did not accept the offering. Not because it was moldy Brussels sprouts, but because God wanted Cain's heart. And then, so this is why God responds to him in verse 6. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out. This is this is really incredible here. Again, applying it to our spiritual life. Um, God says you must master sin. It's interesting that the New American Bible, I'm, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Catholic edition here. Um, it says sin is lurking at the door, but the New American Bible says a demon is lurking at your door. And that's really a fascinating take here on this translation. And it completely reminds me of what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. He says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. This, this is so crucial for spiritual warfare. We've got to always be on guard because just like Satan instigated Adam and Eve to rebel against God, to let their trust in their heavenly father die and thereby through pride try to take and seize the blessing on their own, Satan tries to do the same thing to all of us. He's this demon who's lurking at the door, as Genesis 4-7 here says. He is a lion prowling about like a roaring lion, like Peter 1 Peter 5-8 says. We've got to be on our guard. We've got to be sober. We've got to master it. This, it's so crucial for, this, for spiritual warfare. Uh, there's another very important verse that pops into mind. I have it written right here in the margin of my Bible. I encourage you to always cross-reference in your Bibles. Make it your own. But the, the passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
So I, I just love, it's one of my favorite verses here because we all endure temptation. We all are in spiritual warfare. Satan wants to devour us as well as many other souls. But God always provides the way of escape that we may endure it, that we may overcome. So these verses here, I think, are so important to read together. Genesis 4, 7, 1 Peter 5, 8, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, to understand just a little bit here, um, this quick overview of the importance of being on guard. And that's that's precisely what God is saying to Cain. And so let's go on now with our story and see how does Cain respond? Does he master temptation? Does he repel Satan lurking at the door or the lion trying to devour him? Sadly not, as you well know the story. So let's read verses 8 through 10 here. Cain said to Abel his brother, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Interestingly enough, before I forget, the Hebrew is interesting. He says, I do not know. Am I the shepherd's shepherd? So you can almost hear the sarcasm even more. Am I my brother's keeper? Doesn't sound as snarky, you know, because keep in mind, Abel is a shepherd, right? He's a keeper of sheep. Uh, you can kind of see that in the English translation, but am I the shepherd's shepherd? Uh, you can you can just hear the sarcasm much thicker. Uh, then it goes on. Let's read one more verse, verse 10. And then the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. All right. So here we have the first sin of violence, fratricide. And I think this is important because as I'll, you'll hear me say many, many times, sin is not just breaking a rule. Sin is breaking a relationship. We saw that in the previous lecture with the sin of Adam and Eve. They broke their relationship, their harmony, their bond, uh, this state of original holiness and justice with God. God is their heavenly father. They broke that through their rebellion. So here we can clearly see in the next sin of recorded in salvation history, this fratricide where Cain, I mean, breaks the relationship in a horrible way through murder with his brother. Uh, fratricide is a very interesting symbolic first sin here uh, that's recorded since the fall because that's what we do to each other. Our sins hurt each other. Sin breaks relationships. All right. And it's premeditated. This is really important. He says, let us go out to the field. Let us go out. He's trying to lure his brother out into the field in order to kill him. So it's premeditated. This was not a crime of passion in any way. No, he premeditated this, did it in cold blood. And then God asks him, where is Abel, your brother? Now, again, this is an important point with what we saw when God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? So he asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Not because they were really good at hide and seek and they were off hiding in the poison ivy trying to avoid God and they, God couldn't find them. Certainly not. God was asking a question to prove a point. You're lost. You're separated from me. I want contrition, confession, same concept here. Where is your brother? Confess. God, of course, knows what's happening here, but he wants Cain to have contrition and compunction and to come out and say, I've sinned. Have mercy on me. But of course, he doesn't do that. Like as I pointed out very sarcastically, am I the shepherd's shepherd? This is interesting here with this murder also makes a connection with what we saw before, right? In Genesis 3.15, there's going to be enmity between the woman and her seed and the, and the serpent and his seed. And so the fact that God, Jesus, 
who is God naturally, calls Satan a murderer from the beginning in John chapter 8 verse 44, makes a connection for us. If Satan is a murderer from the beginning, and then we have this sin of murder take place by Cain, it shows us here that Cain is the seed of the serpent. Keep this in mind. We're going to see a divergent path now between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The good line versus the bad line. Cain is a murderer like his quote-unquote father, Satan, by murdering his brother. That's a very important point. Now, before we move on, I think it's important to clarify here this line about his blood crying out to God. In Scripture, tradition has pointed out that in Scripture there are four sins that cry out to God because they bring incredible injustice into the world and they break the natural order and the natural law in a horrific way. There are four of them. I've listed them here uh, just really quickly in your notes to kind of keep in context how horrible this sin is, um, but just also to give you the larger context of, of morality here that there are these four sins that cry out to God for vengeance. Uh, the first one, of course, is murder, as we saw. The murder of Abel by Cain is a, is a horrific crime that cries out to God. The blood cries out for vengeance, uh, which, of course, God will address. Another sin that cries out to God for vengeance is sodomy. You'll see this in the, sin, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the sin of sodomy, homosexuality, is a sin that cries out to God because it breaks the natural order of intimacy between a man and a woman. And that's, of course, a very horrible thing to say nowadays um, because, you know, love is love and all of that. But it, in fact, in the biblical worldview, it's not normal. It's not natural. And so it cries out to God. You also have in the Exodus story, the oppression of the poor is a sin that cries out to heaven. And then James 5, 4 tells us defrauding workers of their just wages also cries out to God. So just kind of parenthetically, but very importantly here, uh, these sin, all sin, of course, is an injustice. That's worth saying. All sin is an injustice. All sin breaks the relationship that we have with God. Um, but these particular sins are in a whole other category. So let's look here at the response. What we find in chapter 4, verse 11, uh, I, can't, I don't have time to read all of this, of course, but God curses Cain and he exiles him east. We know this from verse 16. Uh, I'll read this point here. Uh, let's see. Verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, this whole concept of going east from Eden, uh, many have pointed out this is being driven farther and farther away from the presence of God. And in fact, it says there, him being cursed, him being exiled, is to be driven away from the presence of God. And in fact, just a few verses prior to this, verse 14, Cain says, Behold, you have driven me this day away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. That's what sin does. Sin drives us away from the presence of the Lord. In fact, if we go to chapter 3, verse 9, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. This is a recurring theme. Sin is not just a mistake. It's not just an error, as people like to minimalize it. But sin drives us from the presence of the Lord. And we want to hide from the presence of the Lord. So 
this is symbolized here in the movement east. As I said, many people have pointed out, you're going to see going east is to be driven further and further in exile. We talked about the importance of exile last week. This is what we're seeing again here with Cain. And this is going to be a constant theme in all of scripture, going all the way to the Babylonian captivity where the people are captured and destroyed. The city is burnt down and then they're driven east. They're taken east into captivity. So keep that in mind there. East, going east is bad. You're away from the God's face. There's so much we can say about being, you know, the face of God. And we'll make connections with that when we get to Moses, how Moses see, sees God's face and he talks to God face to face like a friend. So put that in your back pocket. Keep that on the back burner. We'll come to that theme later on. But what I want to drive home the point right now is being in the presence, or sorry, being cast away from the presence of God is a natural result of sin.